Capital Allocators is brought to you by 10 East, an investment platform for sophisticated investors to access private markets. 10 East brings benefits of having your own family office without the cost and headaches of doing so. It's founded and led by Michael LaFell, former deputy executive managing member of Davidson Kempner. Michael and his investment team offer members the opportunity to co-invest by offering at their discretion. Michael and his team source, diligence, and commit material personal capital to each investment. The opportunities shared on the Tennis platform offer exposure to private credit, real estate, niche venture and private equity, and other idiosyncratic investments that typically aren't available through traditional channels. The principals have over a decade track record of investing in these types of exposures across more than 350 transactions. Post-investment, the Tennis team conducts ongoing monitoring and reporting, just as you'd expect from an institutional investment organization. I've known Michael for about a decade, and after becoming impressed by the quality of Tennis offerings, its research process, and high-quality investment team, I became an advisor to the organization and investor in multiple offerings. You can learn more and join me as a member at 10east.co. That's the number 10, east.co. Hello, I'm Ted Seides, and this is Capital Allocators. This show is an open exploration of the people and process behind capital allocation. Through conversations with leaders in the money game, we learn how these holders of the keys to the kingdom allocate their time and their capital. You can join our mailing list and access premium content at CapitalAllocators.com. Today's show is a special sponsor insight from Omni, highlighting their growing business for venture capitalists, operators, and LPs. Omni helps private capital investors track and analyze individual deal terms while providing comprehensive financial and legal insights across portfolios and the broader venture market. I sat down with Kelsey Chase, the founder and president of Omni, to discuss his background as a lawyer and the creation of Omni, how Omni analyzes transaction data, and use cases of this data for investors and operators. We also discuss Omni's recent Series B round, trends in venture arising from Omni's database, and where Kelsey plans to take the company from here. We're incredibly grateful to Omni for sponsoring our Venture is Eating the Investment World miniseries, and we're eager to highlight their value to the venture and investment communities. Kelsey, great to see you. Yeah, Ted, thank you so much for, for having me on your show. I'd love to start with your background and your path to founding Omni. Yeah, absolutely. It is, as I tell all of our investors and clients that we work with, it's a bit of a unique entrepreneurial journey. I started my professional life as a corporate attorney with Wilson Sonsini out on the West Coast, and then also worked at DLA Piper. As a West Coast corporate attorney, my practice looked like working really closely with entrepreneurs management teams and investors. And really starting my career at Wilson, I, I spent a lot of time working with, as outside counsel to startups. And the move to DLA was for a variety of reasons, but one was to open up my experience to working more closely with investors. And so what my background looked like as a lawyer was probably touched hundreds of venture deals and served as outside counsel to growth companies, early stage companies, whether it's a few individuals with an idea in a garage getting it off the ground to companies that have raised you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, and then also working with the investors too. So 
as an attorney, I was able to see all angles of how these transactions come together and really understand the intricacies and the complexity of venture financings. And that was by and large where we had a lot of pain and would constantly have opportunities and ideas for how things could be better and how ultimately capital could flow and transact in a more efficient and better way. And a lot of that was some of the inspiration for what Omni does now. What was that moment of inspiration that allowed you to go start the company? I don't think I ever had a plan to stay in law for that long. I loved the experience and I definitely could not do what I'm doing today had I not had that experience. But I spent about four or five years in that world. And so to your question, it was about less than a week on the job. And I had just graduated law school, was joining one of the best tech law firms, working with some of the best companies. And I was just blown away what, in my experience coming on, how I observed millions and millions of dollars transacting and changing hands. I, I really couldn't believe that was how it was done. And so it was really probably within the first week of being an attorney in the corporate world doing private deals and just seeing all of the complex agreements that come together, the various interests that are represented. It was just shocking to me that that's how money moved in the private markets. And so that was the first week you were on the job. So how did you go from there to eventually deciding to form a company to do something about it? I think working with such amazing clients, entrepreneurs and investors definitely kept me drawn in longer than I was expecting. So I had a really great run and enjoyed my experience. But I think I was hitting that point in a corporate associate's career path where you sort of hit a fork in the road. Do I want to put my head down and pursue partnership and stay on that track? Or are there other things I could do? And where I was fortunate to meet my co-founder, Tony at Wilson Sonsini. And so it was right around that period where I was thinking about, got partnership, I've got other ways to sort of leverage my experience. And Tony and I ultimately came together and said, hey, lawyers have this incredible purview on the market and the various interests of all of the stakeholders that play in this market. And we've got some pretty interesting ideas about how we could make these markets better, more efficient, the need for data. And so it was right around, I chalk it up to, we had some pretty good ideas around that time, but also me personally, I was sort of ready to take that leap outside of law. I was at the right place in my career, had recently gotten married, didn't have kids yet. And so it was kind of this right mix of risk appetite and hadn't gotten used to the golden handcuffs too much as a lawyer. And so it was the right time to jump out, bootstrap and go all in on this really cool and interesting idea. And yeah, thank God I did because it's been a hell of a run so far and we've had a lot of had a lot of fun doing it. When you go from being a lawyer to starting effectively a tech company to gather all this information, what resources did you need and have you built out at Omni to take this idea that you saw as a need from a lawyer and bring it to fruition as a tech company? Yeah, I'm laughing because probably objection number one that Tony and I would receive early days across the board from investors was you guys are a bunch of lawyers. You don't know technology. And a big credit to Glenn Anderson, our initial angel investor who got behind us, who really backed the founders. He, I think at its core, believed that Tony and I could creatively figure this out and bring solutions to the market. And now, I think now that the company's a bit more mature, I think our legal backgrounds actually are, are a shining point of us being able to excel. But we were fortunate to find our technical co-founder and CTO, Rob Wise, about eight months into the company. And Rob now has the largest team at Omni. He's got about 50 engineers and product folks on his team. But Rob is really the technical genius and visionary behind what we're doing. So from the very first moment we met Rob and him getting up to speed into what we're doing, 
brought a lot of good data vision and strategy into how we plan to build out this platform. So what was the kernel of the idea that you wanted to solve? The primary pain point, going back to that first week on the job at Wilson and just being really shocked at how deals came together, how complex and ugly it is to get transactions together. And ultimately, there was this void of information and data. But over the course of my time in that world as a lawyer, I would constantly come back to endless use cases in my day to day, working, counseling investors, counseling entrepreneurs, looking at a transaction where I had seen 80% of that fact pattern before, and I would love to access data points in a database to bring into a conversation. So an investor is looking at a, let's say I'm working with a series A firm, and they're looking at a particular investment. How it works today is neither the investors, the company, or the service providers, law firms included, have any sort of data-driven approach or tool set to bring into these transactions. And I'd always thought, I've seen this fact pattern before, I've done hundreds of deals. Isn't there a database I could look to to bring that into the conversation? So that was a lot of the, I think the opportunity that Tony and I had seen was all of this capital, the growing sort of interest in size of the venture ecosystem, but also this huge void and lack of data. And part of the unlocking that for Tony and I was we had to go to the source truth, which is what we analyze at Omni, which is the underlying legal agreements that represent these transactions. So that is the crux of what Omni does is we are an analytics and infrastructure platform for private market transactions. And we focus exclusively on underlying legal records and documents. So we're going into those documents, extracting, structuring, analyzing data. And then for our clients, we make it available to them in a web interface and an application. But it was that pain point that I had as a lawyer, just putting deals together day in and day out and wanting access to some real data market benchmarks and analytics. So walk me through what data you're extracting from these agreements. This is applicable really across any private market deal, but what that looks like is hundreds and hundreds of pages of complex agreements. It's typical that there are high-powered law firms like DLA and Wilson involved on definitely on both sides of the table, but also multiple sides of the table. There could be a, a variety of law firms, but there are complex agreements that come together to put, that document these transactions. And in those agreements, you can really almost boil anything down to economics or control. So there's sort of this real economic piece. Investors want to understand how they can think about risk and preference and ultimately making return on their investment. But one of the unique features of private markets are these complex agreements that help spell out control mechanics. And so investors can get board seats. They can have special rights in terms of contractual limitations that the company can or can't do. All of this kind of information lives inside of these complex agreements. But because it's in a PDF, might be literally sitting in a printed out version on someone's bookshelf. This information lives in sort of this really difficult place to access. So enter the Omni paradigm, we go into those documents and we're extracting and bringing life to those agreements. And when you look at the firms that Omni services today, which look like very large venture firms, mid-sized firms, emerging managers, corporate venture funds, family offices, fund of funds, when you look at their portfolio, especially mature organizations that have been around for a long time, they have hundreds and hundreds of deals in the database. Well, in their database that and all of this information lives inside of these agreements. And most firms have a difficult time unlocking and accessing that. So we come in, provide structure and action for that data and give it to them in this really amazing product. 
So let's walk through the use cases of maybe a couple of those different groups of clients. So the first is the venture capitalists. How do they use Omni? So it's a great question. What we do for all of our clients is really the same. We focus on underlying legal records. So for what that means for a typical venture fund, and let's just take a multi-billion dollar firm on Sand Hill Road, they likely have maybe a couple hundred active companies in the portfolio. These are companies that are still raising capital, maybe have not become public yet. And then if it's a large enough institution, they have prior vintages of firms and they have legacy companies that have exited or dissolved or whatever the case may be, however that company may have ended up. So what you have is a venture fund has all of these companies, whether they're legacy companies or active companies. And sitting behind all of those companies are likely multiple rounds of venture financings, each of which have their own set of five to 600 pages of dense, complex closing agreements. So we're working with those firms and we go through all of that information, all of those legal agreements, and we are structuring and analyzing and validating that data inside of those agreements. So really specifically for the venture firms, we're looking at their direct investments into companies and the underlying legal documentation that's associated with those investments. And then what do they do with that information? Yeah, so it's everything from what I would consider basic workflow support that can sit inside the back office of a firm. So think of a general counsel, for example, that's looking and assisting with managing a portfolio of 100 active companies. At any given time, that individual might get questions from the front office about how did we structure the board and XYZ deal from two weeks ago? I sort of want to take that structure and mirror it here. To get that answer now, the general counsel is going to have to either thumb through agreements, pick up the phone and call outside counsel. It's a very manual, a lot of friction to get that answer. And with Omni, because we've gone in now and structured all that data, they can get those types of inquiries and answers to those inquiries with a couple of keystrokes. And it's very straightforward. So I think how venture firms use that data, I would say the product and the data base has matured to a point where we do address pretty specific and unique workflows within individualized roles at a firm. There are countless you know, examples of firms needing to access information about prior investments and also wanting to do portfolio-wide analytics and aggregation. How have we ever invested across a Series A company in San Francisco in fintech? What do the terms look like? What are the economics? What does the option pool look like? Founder has a question about how they should be thinking about structuring their option pool for the next growth round. Are there insights and data that we can bring into that conversation? And For me, I found a lot of additional inspiration this last summer when we closed our Series B, which was led by J.P. Morgan and Pelion Ventures. Omni's headquartered in Utah, Salt Lake, and Pelion is one of the premier investors out there. They joined our board. But what was really inspiring for me was we brought data into our negotiations with J.P. Morgan and Pelion. When we had questions around valuation, dilution, size of the option pool, board structure, all of these things that come up in every single venture financing, we looked to our database to help inform those discussions. And it was definitely a value add type dynamic. But the real inspiring point for me was as soon as you close the round, and I think investors and especially entrepreneurs don't have a lot of guidance for what you should do after that. What is the next sort of growth and milestone set of milestones look like? How should you be thinking about, in our case, raising a series B If Series C is the next big inflection point, what does behavior look like and how should you be thinking about that period? So for me, the big inspiration point was looking to our database and looking at a similar cohort of Series B companies that had raised about the amount of capital that we had at the valuation we had 
And what can our database tell us about the behavior of those companies from B to C? When I saw the data, it for sure changed our thinking on operating the business and getting to that next inflection point. So we've gone through like how a venture capitalist would use it, how an operator would use it. And how about an investor in like a venture fund? Yeah, it's, I think in a lot of ways, our product and our team is just drawn to do more for our existing clients. Let's say an investor portfolio looks like today's, they tend to have a lot more than just direct investments into companies. There's a secondary portfolio. Some firms are investing into other firms as LPs. And so as we started working with a more diverse set of investors in the market, we had this really nice opportunity to do more for, if you take a fund of fund, for example, most fund of funds do have some sort of direct investment strategy alongside their fund strategy. So Omni initially started with servicing their direct strategy, but we were really getting pulled by the clients to analyze their fund positions. And what you have with allocations and investments into private managers is a really similar problem, similar opportunity. You have complex legal agreements that sit behind the relationship between an LP and a GP. And so what Omni is doing is bringing its legal analytical playbook that we brought to the venture world and bringing that into the LP arena. So we will be analyzing core foundational fund documents, structuring, analyzing, validating that data and making it available for LPs so they can really understand their individual economic and legal relationship with managers, but can then also start to do more portfolio-wide and ultimately market-wide analytics across their fund investments. I imagine when you're analyzing all these documents and you're talking to everyone in the ecosystem, you probably have a good bead on what's changing on the margin. And I would love to just get your impression of some of the trends. You're exactly right. It's a cool company. Like I just think it's a cool company to work at because most engineers have some entrepreneurial drive or want to have a role in the venture ecosystem. So they come to Omni. We can recruit based on, we'll give you a crash course on venture. If you want to start a company, this is the best company to work at because you're going to learn the inside and out of venture financings and how startups are built and understand how to fundraise and those sorts of things. So we do study trends and look, I'm constantly asking questions of, of the database that I'm curious about in terms of venture. And so a couple of things that I think would be interesting, some data I could bring into the conversation was particularly around what are board dynamics. And there's, you know, I wouldn't call this a, a major trend, but I think it probably would cross reference and check out with what you would hear anecdotally. But we do see a slight trending downward. So what we looked at in this particular data point were lead investors in growth rounds. And for us, we just sort of contained that to B, C, and D. We just wanted to look at a small grouping of rounds. And we looked at the lead investors in those rounds and the frequency at which they get board seats when they lead an investment. And the absolute percentage is still high. It's about 85% of lead investors in those rounds do get a board seat when they lead an investment. However, if you look across the last few years, the trend has been down. And I'm sure just anecdotally in the market, if you look at some of the emergence of crossover firms and a more passive investor type approach to private growth companies, that would check out that we do see this trend where a typical staple of leading a venture round is you get a board seat. You write a big check, you get a seat on the board. And we do see a slight trending downwards in that type of approach, which could be representative of a just a holistically a new strategy or emerging strategies that you're seeing in the venture and growth world. How about in the transactional activity that you see in, there are some trends that are sort of obvious to investors, right? There's faster speed of fundraising, valuations are higher. I'm curious from your lens, what you see as some of the most important trends. I'll share with you what I'm kind of dogfooding internally that I think is a lot of fun. One of the, I think, 
the pretty just staggering trends that we're seeing is over the last decade, there's pretty linear growth in terms of the size of these rounds, like how much capital is coming into a Series B company? What's the total round size? There's a pretty linear growth over the last decade, but right around COVID is when you see this like exponential spike. And so what you'd see is growth rounds B and beyond the size of those rounds, even over the last couple of years has just exponentially grown as compared to more of the linear trends. So that probably would also check out with things you could read in the paper. There is a ton of capital coming into the privates and in particular into the growth rounds. So it's in some way a function of just the supply and demand elements of these private markets. But the reality is over the last couple of years, you have growth rounds that dwarf what it would have looked like even five years ago. So one of the aspects of this environment with so much capital is it really does seem to shift the balance of power to founders. And I'm curious in that lens, what you've seen through the data in this more founder-friendly environment. Yeah, it would definitely confirm that. And at the macro level, what we have is this just growing interest and demand for access to the best private companies. And see that even just anecdotally from LPs significantly wanting to increase their allocation to privates over the next five years. I mean, it's significant increases that I'm seeing and hearing. So with that, you just have this availability and never really before seen amount of capital wanting to access private companies. And that is coming along with a time where deals are happening and coming together incredibly fast rates. Competition for the best private companies, especially breakout growth companies, is the highest it's ever been. And with that, we talked about also the emergence of even new players coming into this world, like crossover firms, and that are taking a much more passive approach to growth venture investing. So all of that, I think, is creating an environment where founders have the most friendly terms that they've ever had. That's the reality of what we're seeing in the data is that companies, founders are taking on less dilution in growth rounds. Generally speaking, the rights that are allocated among investors and companies are swaying in the favor of founders. And so at Omni, we're kind of looking at this multitude of factors at play in a venture financing and, and coming up with sort of a way to score these as founder-friendly trends or founder-friendly deals. And certainly what we're seeing is the trend is in the founder's direction. Are there anything catching your eye on the fund side? So as a fund investor looking at venture? Absolutely. Yeah. This was another thing that uh, unless you've been exposed and know the venture world really well, as I was a young attorney coming into this world, this concept of pro rata rights was always, it was initially sort of confusing for me that investors had this sort of contractual right or through a relationship with a founder, they had this ability to kind of maintain their ownership percentage in the company. And we're looking really closely at that set of rights that go around with pro rata investing. And the question I have that I'm really interested to look into is what do the pro rata misses cost managers? So if I'm a series C, a series A firm, and let's say I either have, I have contractual rights to invest in the B, but because of my fund dynamics or my LP base, I can't actually come up with capital to exercise that pro rata amount or I have a relationship with the founder, I'm given an allocation in a subsequent round, but for some reason, again, for fund dynamics or other reasons, I actually can't maintain my ownership or defend that ownership in the company. I'm really focused on, if you look across a typical portfolio of seed or A investments, earlier stage investments, what do those pro rata misses actually cost a manager? And what type of economics could be associated with that? What are some of the absolute returns or just growth that you're seeing in the later rounds? Had that manager had access to capital or been able to maintain their ownership what do those economics actually translate to over the course of a really exciting breakout growth company? And I think that dynamic is something if I were an emerging manager would want to be all over studying that 
but then bringing new strategies to market and being able to convince LPs what that would have to translate to is larger firms potentially that have access to capital to invest in, in later rounds. So that one in particular, I'm really interested in because I think it's it's going to be pretty fascinating when you actually look to the data and see what the trends are and how much some of those misses cost managers. What are you seeing in terms of the data of this time back to market for companies? I would say it blew us away what we saw, what the data showed. But let's focus again on companies, software companies going from B to C. It'd be interesting to just throw a poll out there. What is the sort of median timeline? And the median timeline that Omni came to was about 15 months. So Omni closed its round in August. The median C is happening 15 months after that. So that would mean for Omni, we're back in market later this year raising capital. But when you overlay valuations and markups alongside those timelines is where things get pretty interesting. So within six months of the B is where we see the highest median markups. Biggest valuation increases are happening within six months of your B. There still are strong valuations in months seven through 18, but not as strong as the first six months. But good markups really up through 18 months after your B. And then we see a pretty precipitous drop off after that 18 month marker. So that was going back to speaking to how this data changes behavior. When you think about raising a series B round and the runway and operating forecast and framework that you're trying to put in place, how are you actually going to spend the series B dollars? Understanding just the data timelines and when the best markups are are happening and when your window is to strike again is really, really valuable. And then I think what a lot of founders could probably rally around is 18 months for a startup, that is not a lot of time to prove things out and hit important milestones. So I would just say all of that data really helped focus us on, we think there's a good window of time here where we need to prove things for Omni to get investors excited to continue investing in and fueling the company's growth into the future. So where do you take the business from here? We're mission focused right now on analyzing and being the leader in the legal and data infrastructure behind these private market transactions. And for us, our view of the world is that we want to provide the infrastructure, sort of the data rails behind the entire waterfall and flow of capital from LP, allocator, to manager, to company. We want to map out that legal and economic relationship. And then from that creates this amazing platform where you have unique value propositions of products for each of those stakeholders. I think the ability to provide data, market analytics, and benchmarks to the entire ecosystem and other stakeholders that are not necessarily directly in these deals, but service providers, other individuals, it creates this just really amazing ecosystem and platform that we have a vision to realize and create. Well, Kelsey, thanks for sharing the story. I want to make sure that I ask you a couple of closing questions before I let you go. So what's your favorite hobby or activity outside of work and family? So company's headquartered in Utah, been out there for almost three years now, and I grew up doing winter sports, but of course, Utah, you have things in your backyard. So I've become a complete ski addict, like skiing is amazing. So that's, we have had a kind of a tough season, but I think you'll find me on the mountain when I'm in my free time. What's your most important daily habit? I practice yoga. So generally try to lead my day to day in life with intention and mindfulness, but breathing is something I always try to focus on every day. If I can even find five to 10 minutes, I try to really check in with my breathing and get some really good rhythm going. And I know it can be hard. I do have young kids, got a pretty busy career, but that is something I try to stay on top of. And I would consider probably one of my most important daily habits was just making sure I'm getting some good breathing in. What's your biggest pet peeve? 
I have a real eye for written communication. So my biggest pet peeve is whether it's folks I'm interacting with or just things I see out there in the wild is a focus and emphasis on good writing. So it's always a work in progress, but that is one of my pet peeves when I see writing work product that even things like typos or just grammar issues, that's something that as a lawyer, I think I'll never be able to completely get rid of. Which two people have had the biggest impact on your professional life? So I would start with Tony, my co-founder. Tony and I have known each other for eight or nine years. And by far, our, even before Omni, just the ways that we, again, kind of supported our creativity and our entrepreneurial minds and tried to help each other think about how we could put our skill sets and experiences to work as entrepreneurs. And then, I, I mean, ultimately coming together with Omni, I think we're, Tony and I are onto something really, really incredible and have had a really good run and a great dynamic between the two of us. And he for sure has had a personal and professional impact on me. The other individual is a guy by the name of Mike Brown. He was my mentor and partner at DLA Piper. And he actually just recently took the chief legal officer role at a company called Dexcom. But Mike was someone that I looked up to tremendously as a young attorney. And he gave me a lot of professional, personal, family life guidance and training. And and he's now someone I consider one of my best friends. And so those two people really jump out as two of the most impactful people in my career. What teaching from your parents has most stayed with you? My mom in particular, I'd give my mom a shout out here, but from the earliest memories I have, she hammered into my mind, work ethic, dedication, can unlock goals that you want to achieve. So I have many memories. My mom's a teacher But it was, I think, as early as, I don't know, two or three years old, the earliest memories I have were just instilling work ethic and having dedication can help you sort of achieve the goals in life that you want to achieve. All right, last one. Kelsey, what life lesson have you learned that you wish you knew a lot earlier in life? I think it took the entrepreneurial jump to doing a startup, but this might sound kind of cheesy, but like finding your inner voice and listening to that. So it's, I don't know, you could also think about it as your gut. But I think being able to find that, harness it, understand it is how I would respond. Well, Kelsey, thanks so much for telling the story. Yeah, Ted, this was awesome. I appreciate having me on. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, hop on our website at capitalallocators.com, where you can access past shows, join our mailing list, and sign up for premium content. Have a good one, and see you next time. 